Maybe you're looking at the end of the year and you're wondering, aside from all the problems swirling in the world right now and their effects on my portfolio, are there any steps I could take before year end that would make my situation better? You know, help me avoid more taxes or help me get closer to my long-term goals. You're wondering, hey, RLS boys, what about a year-end financial checklist? Well, your wait is over, my friend. Stay tuned as we discuss several savvy steps you can take right now on the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Welcome. You are listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Show with Roshan Lungani, Eric Olson, and Adrian Nicholson. This show is an exploration of ideas to help you work toward your ideal retirement. Get ready for the financial independence of your dreams. Welcome to the Retirement Lifestyle Show. I'm your co-host, Roshan Lungani, here with Eric Olson and Adrian Nicholson. We're excited. We have another great episode for you today helping you plan out the rest of the year. Adrian, how, how has, I asked you, we're going to talk about planning the year. How has your year been so far? The year has definitely been more of the busier ones compared to the other ones, but I can't complain too much. All good things happening on my end. And like you said too, I'm really excited to get into today's topic. And we're just going to go right into it with the current market and economic environment. It's been extremely tough on some investors out there. So today we want to share some ideas and opportunities for you to consider before the year ends, just to improve your overall situation and just to see if there's any areas that you might want to adjust or just to consider. Like I said, we have some ideas that we're going to present to you today that we think are going to be really beneficial for our listeners and viewers. So we're really excited to get into this episode. Yeah, let's do it. We're talking about the uh year year end planning so things you can do for the rest of the year to get you going and we've all got some some ideas for you i've categorized them in my mind under planning and investments so i'm just going to start with one of them um with a broad category being update your financial plan we've got a bunch of reasons to do it the first one that's probably obvious to the three of us and to most listeners is Update your plan in light of market changes. This has been a one of the craziest years, really, since, in my opinion, the craziest since 08. So those market declines have impacted your financial plan. So reviewing your financial plan and updating it, particularly at um, after a decline like we've had so far, I think that's a good thing to get you prepared going forward. Gentlemen, any thoughts on that one? Uh, I, I just fully agree. I mean, I think that's the value of ongoing financial planning. A lot of clients will come and say, hey, I need a financial plan or, you know, prospective clients will say, I need a financial plan thinking that that once for all retirement plan will have them set to go and keep on. And I say, you know, they're certainly helpful, but there, there is a perhaps a, a misperception, I would say that having a once for all financial plan is going to get you to the, you know, the end of the rainbow, essentially. And the reality is, is that there's constant change and constant uncertainty. And so while we can point to what would be that end of the rainbow, it is because of tax law changes, market changes, goal changes, health changes, family changes, you, you name it, it is worth, I believe, 
recalibrating where you are in relationship to that set of goals that you have at the time and, and seeing that you're on track to reach them. So I think, yeah, if you haven't done that in a while, I don't know that year end is necessarily superior to the beginning of the year or the middle of the year, but if it's been a while and since we're, and just using the year end as a catalyst to get moving on it, I think that's a, that's a really wise counsel there. I think all three of us tend to do it dynamically by that. I mean, we, we constantly are getting updates along the way at our meetings with our clients. Mm -hmm. When I first started in the business, uh, I remember, um, my manager at the time said, you know, every three years, there's a significant enough change to me to um, warrant a ma- a financial update, that being a major change, whether that's, you know, wedding, divorce, uh, buying a new home, child, uh, something mm-hmm. like that. Well, this year, I think the markets uh, alone are uh, are reason enough where yeah. you need to do it do an update mm-hmm. but in addition to that that's the next one i have on here under my financial planning category are just any life changes uh few that i mentioned and uh just uh with adrian having 10 days to go to his wedding marriage is an example mm-hmm. <laughs> for a major life change we're doing a financial plan uh works out so that that's two that i have an update of your plan one due to markets two due to life changes the third one I've got on my list is uh, is one that we haven't really had in in a while, probably since 08, but uh, looking at the liability side of your balance sheet because of interest rate changes, if you've got anything like a home equity line of credit that's variable, in addition to that, planning major purchases in light of interest rate changes. So those are kind of two items that go hand in hand. I'm thinking about... Um, uh, like a major purchase, for example, I'm thinking about is a new car. Uh, if you're if you're buying that, you were at we were at a time where it made sense to just look at uh, you know you can get zero uh, percent financing, so it makes sense to finance it potentially. Whereas right now, I'm I'm not sure if it if it makes as much sense with what the rates are. I don't think they've necessarily shot up. I'm look, but they are higher. I'm looking at rates right now. Uh, on just on a website online, and they're saying that you know, a sixty-month loan is up to four point seven four percent. This is with the local credit union that tends to give good rates. Mm-hmm. So that that's a lot higher than zero mm-hmm. that it used to, that it was for a, for a long time. You could get deals for zero percent. You know, one thing that we just want to emphasize that uh, all the things that we're talking about today are not recommendations for any single one of you. These are concepts and strategies potentially. So any of these that you're hearing us talk about, of course, please run by your financial advisor or in some cases your CPA or what have you. And if, by the way, you don't have such um, an advisor or at least an advisor you think doesn't approach things in a very um, systematic way from a planning standpoint, please do reach out to us and we'd love to have a conversation with you. But in what you're talking about there, Roshan, I was just having this conversation with my youngest daughter who recently bought a home and her rate, which we are grateful for compared to how much they've moved up since she first opened the conversation with the bank is six and an eighth. As, and in other cases, we're seeing instances of, you know, high sixes now. But when you think about six and an eighth, if you have, depending on what your outlook is on the markets and depending on what marginal income tax bracket you're in, it might be that 
one of the better places for you to to get a return on a dollar that you deploy, it might be to add it to the a, a prince, an additional principal payment on that sort of a mortgage. Why do I say that? Let's say that you're in a 10% or 12% bracket. And, a defed, and, and while mortgage interest is deductible, I'm just going to use, let's say, a $300,000 home at six, just to make the math easy, at 6%, you're, that's $18,000 of interest that you would pay during the course of that year. If you had an extra $1,000 and you could avoid 6% interest on that, that's the same thing as having $60 less interest on that $1,000 for that year and the year after that and the year after that and the year after that all the way out. So now you you won't be able then, of course, since you've saved on that interest to therefore deduct that interest when you file your taxes. But again, if you're in a 10 or 12% bracket, you were only, you were reducing that 6% obligation by only one tenth. And so it was still 5.4 net to you. If you're a very conservative investor, you might look at that and say, wow, this is a guaranteed 5.4% that I'm, I am saving in interest on an after-tax basis. How, where else would I get that? Um, especially, again, if you did that analysis on an after-tax basis. Let's say you earned uh, 5.4 on something else, but then paid taxes on that return, then your net return from that would be less. So bottom line is, is in these higher interest rate environments, the nature of the conversations that we're having with our clients about the sensibility of adding to and or more you know, accelerating the pay down of a debt, that has now changed. Definitely. It's a great one. I was I was talking about future planning, but um, you bring up a great point, not even future planning, current planning in light of the liabilities. If you've gotten mortgages, I was just curious after you mentioned that rate. Uh, so I looked up the, the average uh, 30 year fixed mortgage rate right mm -hmm. now. And it's six point eight nine nine. Yeah. If you <sighs> if you get it right now that wow have not seen those numbers in a while. That brings up another thing when you talked about liability. Well, as an investor, you can lend money to companies. So we're in a situation, or the government, but we're in a situation we haven't really been in since 08, where you can get good uh, money for getting bonds or loaning that money out. So I was speaking to a client yesterday and we found a uh, a treasury bond that was like a year and three months. And if I remember correctly, the rate was at about four and a half percent. So he's got cash that's been sitting sitting in the bank and uh, for a while because he's conservative, didn't want to invest it in equities uh, in the past. And you, know, you can't he wanted something for good fixed rates and fixed rates were so low. He had said, you know, I'm just going to leave it in the bank. Well, now he can put that in and get a you know, good you know, four and a half percent in a government bond for and that that expired. December 31st, I said expired, matured December 31st of 2023. So we're talking a year and uh, about a month and a half. You know, Roshan, that's a great point. And if your outlook is, is that you want to have some of that money liquid a little sooner, you can even find things. I was doing the same exercise with a client a couple of days ago, just looking at shorter uh, duration or shorter maturity dates than what you just referenced at the end of 2023. We were looking at something that was, I think, 4.3 or 4.4 maturing in September and October of next year. We were looking at something that was certainly above four maturing in the middle of next year. So those rates are now available on treasuries. And 
let's not hasten to, or let's not forget to add that I bonds, which you mentioned in a previous uh, episode or recent episode and listeners, if you missed that, please go back to the episode we recorded recently on uh, answers to listeners questions and clients questions where we dealt with the I bond in more detail, but I just helped another client last week with um, Mr. Client, Mrs. Client, Mr. Client's trust and Mrs. Client's trust deploy $40,000 into a series of um, $10,000 a piece into I bonds. Um, seizing this opportunity right now of 9.62 percent uh rates by the way if you're thinking you're hearing this episode next week and you'd have to be jumping on it the deadline to get on board with that particular rate would be to to submit it by the 28th of october of 2022 in order that it can be in place by the 31st of october and, and that would really be the cutoff yeah, I like that. I like that as well. So uh, that started out talking about interest rates on liabilities. We went into reviewing your portfolio, particularly cash, uh, cash available. In addition to that, uh, just bond exposure uh, in the portfolio overall. Uh, gentlemen, do you have another uh, another one you want to throw out on there, or should I keep going through my list? Yes, first? I'd love to add yeah, on please. to two of those things that line up with what I've been looking into. Well, first how we were talking about like the different bonds that are out there as well. That conversation really just boils down to looking at your overall allocation. What are you invested in right now? And that's something people are looking at now more than ever, because like we say, the markets are always changing. The interest rate environment is always changing. So you should look at your overall situation. Just look at your investments and see, does this still make sense now? If it doesn't, then you want, want to look at different areas where you can find more opportunities, different asset classes, whatever it may be is something more important than ever right now, because something that might have worked out for you in the past might not be working in this new environment. Because like we're talking about, the interest rate environment are changing. Markets right now are always changing. It's something that people need to consider now more than ever. So I think that's something that we really just want to drive home here just to look at what you're invested in now. Does it still fit what's going on in the world right now? I think it's very important. It, you know, I, I want to add one thing on there, Adrian, as well. Great point. The addition I'd make is also look at your risk tolerance. Yeah, I find that um, risk tolerance does move with the markets. And what I mean by that is as the markets continue to go up, people are comfortable with more risk. As you see a decline, People then then say, oh, I, I, I became more aggressive than I want to be. Uh, should I lower my risk, that type of thing? So I think it, when you review overall portfolio, Adrian, as, as you had said, I think reviewing your risk tolerance is also uh, an important factor. Yes, I agree. And also time, the timing of it, what's your time horizon, how long do you want to be invest, invested also is a main driver too in this area, wouldn't you think? Completely agree. I mean, we're a, a year closer to the goal. As I was uh, dropping my son off to to his school fifth grade today, he was saying, you know, I'm only eight years from college. And I was like, I said, oh, I, I just said something like, oh, that's nice. But in my mind, I'm like, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> <laughs> in the down market. Thanks for the reminder, little man. It's <laughs> a good story. Thanks for sharing that, Roshan. And then I also wanted to go back on the planning piece that you also talked about, I think the two terms that come to mind is planning and plan. 
where you could have a great plan in place, but like I mentioned before, everything's always changing. You might go through different life events, markets, the interest rate environment, whatever it may be. So having a planning perspective is very important than just having something that's set in place with general rules and thumbs that really not as customized to the changes that may go on in your life is something that people need to monitor and be be assured of. Yeah, once again, agree with you. And Adrian, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but tell me if I understood you correctly. Uh, the way I, I look at that, a plan is a uh, a document or something that you got in place, but it's it's literally only relevant at that date. What I mean by that is it's obsolete a day or two later because something will change. The markets will change. What you have in your bank accounts will change. Something like that. But planning means ongoing update and review. Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, of course. And if you review it enough and then over time, you'll only, you could be in a position where you just need to make minor adjustments here or there. But if this is something that you're not annually checking in on, then just one major change can really throw that whole plan out the door. So yeah, you're right there with me, Roshan. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, I'll throw one I've got on here as well that it goes under my planning category as well is uh, just insurance review. Is are, are are your insurance insurance policies that you have are they sufficient? Are they the right ones for you? Could you have too much in place, right? Because similar to what I said, the planning being a point in time, so is your insurance, right? When you when you got it, so just doing that kind of review as part of your planning. And as Eric said earlier, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, year end. It can be any any time uh, that you do it, uh, as long as you do review and update it along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? Since we're on a roll here, Roshan, why don't you and you and Adrian continue with yours, and then I'll save mine, which are pretty much all around charitable uh, tax opportunities. Sounds good. I'll go. I'll go with the. Uh, with two others really quickly and we'll we'll come back to this but in the planning category is your estate plan up to date have you got um uh it wills trust you know revocable living trust power of attorneys that type of thing is that in place whenever you update your plan i'm just looking at it with the year end but going back to what eric said about any time that could work i mentioned this already with the major expenses and cash planning but i just want to revisit that because we ended up discussing it as a subcategory of interest rates, but looking at any major expenses coming up, and it could be a lifestyle change as well. For example, are you retiring in 2023, right? Getting getting back to looking at and um, planning that. I've got a few in the investment category, but Eric, I've got one under planning that is a perfect lead into you, <laughs> which is looking at your annual gifting yeah. to to uh family if you're using the uh uh the gift exclusion as well as to charities to make sure you get it in which is also a good move for for thinking about taxes and deductions so eric why mm -hmm. don't you go on to what you've got with the charity side sure well actually maybe it helps to just tell a little story of a recent conversation with an existing client about this subject so this is this client's last year of substantial income because the goal is early next year to retire. And so the question then is, is would this be a better year 
to do advanced gifting in you know, all of the charitable giving that this client would expect to do over the course of, let's say, the next five to 10 years to just get it out of the way now and do it when the income tax rates are the highest for this client. Because next year, the income will drop to such a level that it'll drop from a 24% marginal federal rate down to probably a 10, possibly a 12. With that, then, the, the, the second fact is true about this particular client, and that is that there is a fair amount of, of um, stock that in, in a taxable account that has significantly appreciated since its purchase point. In one case, it's about 95% of the value of this position is in capital gains, and only 5% of this position is in, is in the original cost basis. So if this client were to go about this in the inefficient way, the client would say each and every year, let's say the giving goal is, I'm just going to make up a number now, $5,000 a year, and I'm going to do that for the next five years. All right, so $25,000, if that's the intent to do that kind of giving, each and every year could sell that and take the capital gains, realize the capital gains, pay taxes on those capital gains, and then go from there. But another approach would be, to instead pre-fund all of that next five years of $5,000 of giving by taking five times 5,000 is 25,000, taking $25,000 of that highly appreciated position and as the position itself, not selling the position first and then gifting the money, but taking the position intact and gifting it into what's known as a donor-advised fund or DAF, donor advised fund, which another nickname you could say is your charitable checking account. When you do that, here's what happens for this particular client. Number one, they immediately get a 25% or pardon me, a $25,000 write-off against their income this year. That is all at the 25% or 24% level. So just rounding it, that's roughly in this case, about $6,000 worth of income tax that's avoided. Second, since almost all of that $25,000 is in capital gain, if it were to be sold this year at least, the client would be hit with another 15% on that $25,000 or said differently, almost another $4,000 of, in this case, of capital gains tax. So, so by gifting this instead intact, they avoid realizing that gain and hence they avoid that nearly $4,000 of taxes. So now between the charitable gift reducing their income tax by 6,000 and avoiding the capital gains tax to the tune of almost another $4,000, that's $10,000 of taxes avoided almost with that $25,000 gift. And we haven't even talked about the consequences at the state tax level. I mean, I don't mean estate, I mean at the, the resident the state of which this client is a resident. So just at the federal level alone, that $25,000 gift can be financed with $10,000 of avoided taxes, more or less, meaning it's only 15,000. Now, say, let's say that that client has a deep love affair with that stock, the one that's the most highly appreciated. That's likely, right? Because they've kept it this long. Well, what do they do? They can go out and they can say, all right, I just saved $10,000 of taxes. I'll just go right out again and buy another $10,000 of that 
position using the $10,000 of taxes I saved plus another $15,000 of cash I had sitting on the sideline. I now once again own that same $25,000 of that, that stock I love so much, but my, my basis in that stock is now not way, way down next to zero. Instead, it's way, way up at 25,000. I have kind of reset the, the tax clock on that thing. And in the future, when I do use it for my own uh, lifestyle, I will be in a great position at that stage to have that, that much less tax that I'll have to pay at that time. Great plan. Great thinking. I, I am based on what you're giving the clients. I'm sure you're saving them a significant amount in uh, taxes by doing this. Mm-hmm. And it, it is. And especially if you, let's say you're in a, you're in a situation where your, your financial situation is such where you're thinking in terms of, okay, over the course of the next five years, we might be giving, you know, a hundred thousand, 200,000, $300,000. Now it's even more consequential when you can do that in it. But the, the, the ratios are comparable, but just in terms of the raw magnitude of the dollars that you can, you can avoid, uh, having to pay out in taxes by using some of these, these strategic approaches to giving just makes so much more sense to me. Yeah. I, I think planning it out for sure. It's a good, it's a good move. Um, so let me just isolate a principle here. If you're giving, even if you're not using a donor advised fund, and even if you're not pre-funding where possible, if you can gift highly appreciated securities to the charity that you love so much, Rather than gifting cash, you'll probably it'll probably work out better for you. That's principle number one. And the second is is that if if you can lump some of these together, these gifts together in a year in which you'd be hit with a high a higher marginal income tax than in the next few years, that's a particularly good time to pre-fund some of those. And and the an ideal instrument for doing that is this donor advised fund or. Uh, charitable checking account. Excellent. Uh, what's the next one you've got? Well, if you're over 70 and a half, you also have now another amazing way that you can fund your charitable giving. And that is to use what's known as the qualified charitable distribution. This was introduced into law with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, I believe, in, in the end of 2017. So it applied in the first case to 2018. And as a result, not a lot of people have been habituated to understand how um, useful this is. But if it's if it's your, your age 70 and a half or over, what you're able to do is to gift straight from your IRA directly to the charity. In fact, you just work with your custodian uh, and your advisor can help you with this if, if you're not sure how to do this, but you work with your custodian so that the money isn't sent first to you and then you send it. Instead, it's sent directly from the custodian to the charity that you've named. Why is this useful? Well, think back. Once upon a time, you put that money into either an IRA or a 401k or a 403b or some other tax-deferred um, retirement fund in meaning you got a tax deduction that year because your income was lower dollar for dollar by every dollar that you put in. Then it grew tax deferred. And now you're able to move it from the IRA directly to the charity on a tax-free basis. That's triple tax-free tax deducted in tax uh, deferred uh, on the growth and tax-free on the distribution. It doesn't get any better than that. 
So if you have that, that's incidentally why I would say don't convert all of your IRAs into Roth IRAs if you have a charitable intent, because it'll be useful to you later on to fund your charitable giving through the direct transfer out from your IRA using this QCD or Qualified Charitable Distribution Strategy. Yeah, and particularly when you think about the how much the standard deduction has increased. So a lot of people mm -hmm. now are taking the standard deduction. And then after you add on to that, um, when you think about charitable donations, you're looking at only being able to deduct you know, 300 per individual or 600 per couple. So if you're taking the standard deduction and giving money to charity, you won't be able to deduct very much. Whereas mm -hmm. if you use this QCD, well, you're saving the taxes you would have paid. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a very, very good benefit for both the retiree and also the charity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've got one further idea in this, in this broad category, uh, but, um, and then I would switch over to one other device that's charity related. But when, when since we're talking about uh, these gifts, I mentioned that in the case of this one client's uh, scenario that, well, this is going to be probably the last year in which this client will be in this higher marginal income tax bracket. So this might be the, a good year in which to do that. But there are other opportunities as well. What if it's a year that you said, man, I would really, really like to, because I've heard Roshan and Adrian and Eric shouting from the rooftops, hey, it's a down year, do Roth conversions, and I'd love to do that. But if I do Roth conversions and, and take advantage of this window, it is going to be piling more um, ordinary income on top of my already high marginal bracket. I get that. But here's, here's the way that you can address that. If, again, you have a charitable intent, gift enough on, again, pre-funding your future giving by using a donor advice fund to offset or potentially completely neutralize the Roth conversion that you would be doing in this year. So, for example, just I'm going to use, a, you know, just some basic numbers to make this sort of a simple example. Let's say that you're, you're you tend to give more and um, you tend to maybe let's say you're going to over the next five years, you're going to give $20,000 a year. So $100,000. If you put $100,000 again of highly appreciated stock, if you have it rather than cash into a donor advised fund that then buys you the opportunity to then go ahead and do a Roth conversion also to the tune of a hundred thousand dollars and the the one will offset the other so that it doesn't add to your tax bill it's another great one all right guys like so i i feel like i i'm just obsessed with the whole tax avoidance thing and also wanting to help people figure out a way to, to uh, solve the the charitable their charitable goals in the most tax efficient I mean, that, way possible what else have you I mean, got that's awesome though eric because Again, just given the current market and economic environment, people may feel like they're just losing this year where there are strategies and tactics that they can put in place now where they can save money in this case on taxes and also give to their charities as well, where you're structuring their plan or their situation in a way that just makes them feel like they're winning. So that's, that's mm -hmm. really awesome. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Eric. Yeah. 
this is perfect for somebody who had a windfall, let's say, with a big stock position that was they were forced to realize and had a lot of embedded capital gains. Sometimes this will happen in a corporate setting where you you had this this stock went public and or your your executive compensation um, you know, were forced to essentially realize it at some point or you know other sorts of windfalls that can happen along the way. The this sort of you know thinking about how to combine one strategy with another can really go go a long way to offsetting some of those big tax hits and you know going back to the old saying a penny saved is a penny earned right so anything you can save on taxes are worth it's worth pursuing mm-hmm. so true so eric just to make sure i've got all three of these the three things you had mentioned uh is donor advised funds and charitable giving using qcds if you're over 70 and a half for your um distributions to charities and then donating appreciated stock. I I would say that's yeah that's it precisely. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's one other that uh, that I thought would come from you, but I'm sure you're a fan of, and that's that I have. It's Roth conversions, mm-hmm. right? Just and and I I know we've discussed this on previous episodes, but if you're converting now with the markets being down. Then when they recover, so you convert, let's just say at the beginning of the year, you had $10,000. Now in October, it's worth more like seven. Well, if you convert it, you'll pay the tax on the $7,000. And then it recovers back up to the 10 in the Roth side of things. Well, you've got that 3000 recovery tax tax free. So I mm-hmm. think looking at your situation and doing Roth conversions, it's it's definitely a good, I tend to do these at year end just in case something changes with income. So in general, I typically look at this at year end for clients, but this year in particular with what the markets are doing, I think there's an even better opportunity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so, so on that note, um, I know that we were also wanting to talk about tax loss harvesting. Were yes. you still going to talk about that, Roshan? Yep. That's, that, that's next on my list. Uh, Eric, actually, why don't you cover, cover that one? Sure. So let's say that you have uh, you had this stock that was worth just using Roshan's example just a moment ago, a stock or a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund or something of that kind that was worth uh, $10,000 at the start of the year or back in November or whatever. And now it's down. You were you, you purchased once you once upon a time purchased it for 8000, but now it's down to 6000, let's say. You had been up by two thousand, you had two thousand dollars of capital gains. Those then disappeared, and now you're at a two thousand dollar loss. What can you do with that? Well, you could sell the position. Now, some of you are going to react and say, "Eric, I don't want to sell the position." I, I've been told over and over that you shouldn't sell positions when they're down. You're you're just going to miss the the upside and the recovery. Oh, very astute. I, I commend you for that reaction. But here's here's the way to play it. it: isn't to sell the position and then go to cash. It's to sell the position and then find some sort of not identical substitute where you can re-engage that cash in in the markets, the proceeds from that sale. You might be saying, "Well, why would I want to do that? I'm still invested." Ah, good question. It's because you want to capture that two thousand dollars of loss. Remember you bought it for eight. It's now worth six. If you sell it now, you get to bank into your, your capital loss piggy bank, $2,000 of losses. You might say, well, what good is $2,000 of losses sitting in my, my 
capital loss piggy bank. And what is a capital loss piggy bank anyway? Well, the next time that you have a gain, and we're talking then incidentally about taxable accounts, not your Roth IRAs, not your IRAs. These are strictly taxable accounts. The next time that you have a gain that you realize either by choice or because you're kind of compelled to, you'll just say, oh man, where's my piggy bank? And you'll pull out those $2,000 of capital losses and you'll flash them in front of the IRS uh, agent at the very same time as they're looking at the $2,000 worth of gains that you had just realized, rubbing their hands saying, now you're going to pay. And instead, you, by flashing that $2,000 of losses from your piggy bank, it offsets the $2,000 of gains and you get, to, you get to walk away from that conversation without owing anything on those $2,000 of gains. So capital losses are not a bad thing. Capital losses where you, you don't um, take the, the, the proceeds from the sale of those positions and deploy it in a way that can, can allow you to be there for the recovery, that's probably not a great idea. But the realizing the loss itself and then moving to something similar but not identical as the next chapter of that, that capital's um, investment life that approach is actually um, helpful to you from a tax management standpoint. Yeah, and actually, you know, just one thing I'd add, if you, you can wait uh, over 30 days to buy the same security um, mm -hmm. and then get the, uh, get the tax benefit as well. Now, you do risk in that scenario the movement of that specific holding. Right. So, yeah, that's a good point. We're trying to avoid something known as the wash sale rule, which yeah. essentially eliminates the, your ability to realize that loss at that point. So uh, that's the 30 day you know, on either side of a purchase or a sale to avoid the wash sale that has to. But just as you pointed out, Roshan, I'm thinking, well, if you knew that you knew that you knew that the markets were in fact going to continue downward further over the subsequent 30 days and then your that one position that you love so much um, in particular then of course it would make sense to wait the 30 days and repurchase it later at a lower price so that would be just a no-brainer but since there is that element of uncertainty my recommendation is is don't try to be too smart about this just find something else that has similar growth characteristics and and you'll be fine yeah. And, you know, I wasn't even thinking about outsmarting or timing the market, Eric. I was just saying, let's say you own stock XYZ and it's at mm -hmm. a loss, but you still like that same stock. So mm -hmm. just letting it be known that that if you wait the 31 days, you can get back into it. Now, your risk is that stock could go up in that in that time frame. But mm -hmm. uh, letting you know what the risk is and what your options are versus saying you're trying to time or outsmart any kind of movement. It's just Hey, I like this company. I still want to own their stock. And, you know, I just, in terms of listening uh, to what you and I just said here, I just want to once again highlight for our listener, this is not a recommendation for you to go out tomorrow and sell all of your positions that are at a loss. So this is, we're talking about a principle and a strategy and how it works. As for whether or not this makes sense in your particular case, there can be a lot of other things that are part of this conversation. So get with your financial advisor. If you don't have one, again, reach out to us. We'd be happy to have that conversation with you. Yeah. These are ideas and things to think about. And I've mm -hmm. got one other thing on my list. Should have said this when you talked about QCDs, Eric, but uh, mm -hmm. I, I was not as fast as I should have been then. But if you've got re remaining uh, required minimum distributions, 
make sure you take them before the end of the year. Those penalties are hefty, 50% penalties if you don't take them. Mm -hmm. So make sure you take the minimum, the required minimum distributions. And then as Eric said earlier, if you don't need that money uh, yourself, there are a lot of good causes out there that could use it and you can send them the money directly from your IRA. Uh, You can avoid the tax on your end and you can help a, a cause that you like and believe in. We've covered my list to its entirety. Uh, and Eric, I think we covered yours. Uh, Adrian, how about yours? Do you have some items left or did, did yes, I? Yes, I have one more that we haven't yes. covered. This is make sure that your account information is up to date and protected. Just this year, if you're just experiencing a lot of pain in the markets, I think the last thing you want to do is have your account be hacked or just have some information that's just not up to date, just cause an issue or an error. So this is something that is in your control now that could really help you out in the long run, just making sure that your accounts are up to date, encrypted, have strong passwords on there that could really pay off in the long run and help any pain or headaches that you could experience if you're targeted by cyber criminals. Wow, Adrian, I'm so glad you said that because I was at a conference last week and one of the best sessions I attended was on cybersecurity. That's awesome. And one of the points that they mentioned was, and I learned a lot from this, but one of the points they mentioned is that the single greatest source of of cyber um, theft is is the human error. It's not the other sorts of things. And it's particularly clicking on phishing emails. And uh, and giving people this opportunity to plant a seed on your computer, watch how you're you're doing things, and then gradually take the information that they want from your either your own computer or from the various websites in which you you work. On that note, incidentally, some people will reuse their same password over and over and over on a variety of websites. When one of those websites is breached, and one of them will be breached, you can just more or less assume that. Then the people that get hold of that treasure trove of, of usernames, and oftentimes the usernames are email addresses, and then coupled with the password, what do they do? First thing they do is they go out and they have these, these robots that will automatically try that password, that username and that same password on thousands and thousands of different websites and see if it opens the door for them because you use the same password. You said, I've got a really strong password, but you use the same one over and over and over. And as a result, uh, now they have a gateway into all of your information and particularly into your account. So not only use strong passwords, but also use different, a different password for each website. And if you're thinking, how am I going to possibly do that? I point you back to our earlier episode on cybersecurity in which we discussed a variety of tools of this kind, in particular password keepers. The one that we'll, without wanting to keep it an entire secret here, the one we landed on as a consensus pick for two of the three of us was keepersecurity.com. I use that all the time now. It is, it's been game changing for me to have it just launch these websites, knowing that I've got this, this password that's gonna take billions, if not trillions of years for a computer to try to hack and try over and over because it's just too complex to, to, to hack that way. And every single website has its own password. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. Thanks for sharing that, Eric. And like you said, these cyber attacks are becoming more advanced than ever. So just being mm-hmm. aware of it, 
and taking the precautions now to be prepared for it is just important. You just don't need another variable in your life right now if you're experiencing any type of discomfort with the market. So the last thing you need to be is locked out of the account or having some issue being forced to wait on an 800 number for hours on end to get this resolved. So it's just something that you can take in place now to protect you over the long run. Very important point. I'm glad you brought that one up, Adrian. That was a that was a great one. Making sure that that back to what Eric said it towards the beginning. Some of these things don't have to be year end. That this is one of them where you've really got to be vigilant all the time. Mm-hmm. In fact, if you want to check and see how lame your passwords are, you can go to security.org and they have a tool there that will, you, you can type in your password and, and, and of course you're not telling it for which website and you're not telling it with what username, but just type in a password. They'll tell you how quickly that password can be hacked by a computer working on that problem for you. So get something that takes millions, billions, or trillions of years, as opposed to something that takes as was in the case of a few of my clients when I showed them this and we, and they typed it in themselves seconds <laughs> instantly. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I actually wasn't familiar with that site, but I will look into that to see uh, how easy or difficult some of my passwords are to, uh, to being hacked. Mm, good. Gentlemen, I think this was a useful one. As you said a few times, Eric, I'll add on to it. These aren't recommendations, ideas. These are ideas, things for you to think about. And uh, we will include them in our show notes. We'll provide the list as well. Please like, subscribe, give us five stars, tell your friends and family, and we'll be back next week with another action-packed episode of the Retirement Lifestyle Show. Schedule a conversation with Roshan, Adrian, or Eric today at retirementlifestyleshow.com. Roshan and Eric are certified financial planner practitioners. They, along with Adrian, are investment advisor representatives and serve clients across the U.S. with financial planning and investment advice through RTA Wealth. If you found this show helpful, gain knowledge, or enjoy the time you spent with us, tell your friends and leave us a five-star review. This will help others discover the show. To access our show notes, to download any of the tools mentioned in today's podcast, to ask us a question or to schedule a conversation, go to retirementlifestyleshow.com. All opinions expressed by podcast hosts and guests are solely their own. While based on information they believe is reliable, neither Arate Wealth nor its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, nor do their opinions reflect the opinion of Arate Wealth. This podcast is for general informational purposes only and should not be regarded as specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. The show hosts offer investment advice through Arte Wealth Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor, and securities through Arte Wealth Management, LLC, member FEMRA, SIPC, and NFA. Finally, our music is The Chance, by Jason Shaw in Audionautics. It's part of the YouTube Audio Library and it's licensed under a Creative Commons license. I am Ray Boyd.